Well, this morning we actually officially launch into a new preaching series called Journeys to God Knows Where. And the idea there is we're all on a journey. Life is a series of journeys, but only God knows all the steps in those journeys. Sometimes we don't even know the ultimate destination of the journey, yet we're still moving forward. And God really is the only one who knows all the details about the major and minor journeys, the journeys of our lives and the sub-journeys of our lives. Those times where we need to move forward and there's some element of change, something that's different, we don't know exactly what, and especially the, the special definition or component of a journey as we're defining it here is some sort of unknown, whether it's an unknown detail or several unknown details, you know, which I know which college I'm supposed to go to now, but I don't have any idea who my roommate's going to be or what it's going to be like or what my major is or what this new job is going to be like or what it's going to be like to have a child. I'm pregnant. I'm on this journey, but I, they tell me about it, but I don't know exactly what's there and all the things that we'll have to first uh, have to face. Journeys to God knows where. And of course, we're aware of the fact that our church, our whole community is on a pretty obvious journey. We're on other journeys all the time. There's never a time when we're not on a journey if we're living a life that moves toward Jesus because we're becoming more and more like Jesus. And as I've said uh, before, Jesus is sort of like a fixed moving target. When you, and picture a child just learning to walk. You get up from crawling and you discover how to walk. And just when you think you've gotten to your mom or your dad, they step back and say, come, come another step. Jesus is like that. And that's why life as a Christian is a journey. So we're going to look at some lessons learned while on a journey. And we'll be primarily in this series in four books. Now, we might wander outside of them, but these are primarily four books that are sort of going to be our fishing pond from the book of Genesis or Exodus or Nehemiah or Matthew. Uh, Because we thought that in those books, there were some pretty obvious journeys taken, that there might be good lessons uh, from which we could could draw some information. And today is the first uh, in that series, a series called Journeys to Only God Knows Where. Sometimes it seems like God is more adept at calling us to go than he is at telling us exactly where we're going to be going or what we'll be doing once we get there or certainly what all the details are in route. Doesn't it feel like that to you sometimes? Boy, you're sure good at swelling my heart and causing a longing in me. You're sure better at that, it seems, than you are at saying, here's where you're going, here's when you get there, here's what's going to happen when you get there, here's the tickets for all your flights when you get there, take this stuff, take... He oftentimes just says, go, and then kind of goes like this and smiles and steps back. Doesn't it seem like that? I mean, if you read Scripture, you notice that in some of the major movements of Scripture as well. For instance, in Genesis 12... Look at Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now, Abraham has already gone with his father-in-law up to modern-day Turkey. And then, his, his, uh, and then Terah die, or his father, and then Terah dies. And so Abraham is there. And at that time, God says to Abraham, in effect, go to a place that I will show you. 
How, how does that work? Go to a place that I will show you. Yeah, okay, show me and I'll go. I, I mean, I'll set the course, just show me. And God is saying, no, go. And then I'll show you on the way. Some would even say that the Great Commission, which is in Matthew 28, go into all nations and, and, and preach the gospel, baptize you. Know, you've heard that if you've been around church for any time. Some say with some substance, with some argument, that that actually should be translated. It certainly could be translated. While going, baptize people, preach the gospel to all folks. Wherever you go, there's a sort of process. In Isaiah 6, Isaiah's command, that's a great text where you have that famous saying, here am I, Lord, send me. God says, who will go for me? And Isaiah is in the presence of the Lord, having this vision. And God says, who will go for me? And Isaiah looks and there's nobody else in there, you know, except cherubim and angels and stuff and smoke and quaking. And he's, here am I, Lord. One of the great moments. He said, send me. And God says to Isaiah, good, go and preach hope to a people who will not receive your message. Sounds like a modern day church plant, doesn't it, Rob? And Isaiah says, oh, ouch. And he says, how long, Lord? And God gives him this message that could, an answer that could not be any more obscure. It's, it's, the, it's the biblical version of something like, until the wind blows through the hairs of a dog. It's like, that's happening now. Right, exactly. How long do I have to preach this very discouraging, unproductive message? And God's answer is yes. <laughs> because it seems sometimes that God is more adept at saying go than he is at giving us all the details. Sometimes even that really important detail about where we're supposed to be going. In Acts 1.6, after charging the disciples to go and reach the world, as I've referenced before, uh, already from the Matthew 28 text, they ask a reasonable question. Remember, these guys are in process. They've just seen all sorts of stuff. Their heads are spinning. Jesus has just been arrested and then killed and then resurrected. And there's, still, there's so much for them to get their heads around in so short an amount of time. It's amazing to me that they're hanging in there at all, except for the power, the compelling power of the Holy Spirit to collect people. They, they they, they wouldn't be. So it's a reasonable question when he says, now, fishermen, I want you to go to the entire known world. I know, I know you haven't traveled more than 30 or 40 miles from where you were born. Now I want you to go to the entire known world and take this message that I brought to you to all people groups. Might have been a little bit overwhelming. And so they said, um, okay, so is this the time when you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? Because we need a little more information. And Jesus gives them a very, very obscure answer. Like, it's not for you to know. Don't worry about that. You just go. Do what I tell you to do. And then to make things worse, as though to illustrate his addiction to being nebulous. He says that and then floats off up into the clouds and the ascension happens. And they've got to be standing there with jaws dropped. Uh, did you get that last question? 
It's a really important question. Uh, hey, and that's it. You know, besides not having enough information as one might need to move forward in response to God's call, did you see something when you, do you see something when you think back on these stories that they have in common? What do all these examples have in common? A few things, but here's one, and this is the one I want to focus on, and this is the focus of this morning's message. One thing they all had in common, this introduction to a journey to God knows where, to getting, to getting the command more clearly than you get the details. And again, that's all of us, isn't it? One thing they have in common is prayer. The thing that Christians are so good at saying is important. But we, including me, are so poor at acting as though it's important. Prayer. Today, I'm going to offer a few examples of how we should pray. How then should we pray? How should we then pray when we're on a journey to God knows where? When we're planting a new church, putting something where there was nothing. When we're taking on a new job, moving to a new school, dealing with, with what life feels like when your relationship has ended and now it's a whole new start or raising a new child or whatever it might be, moving to a temporary facility and dealing with all the things that come at you when you're building a new facility, but certainly bigger than that. How should we then pray? And what we're going to do is quickly look at some of those examples from Matthew, the teachings of Jesus. And you're going to need a pen or something to write with uh, for today because we're going to stop as we move through those examples and actually practice prayer. This is a prayer laboratory today. Teaching and prayer intermingled. And what we'll encourage you to do is write some of those prayers. You might just write one of them. You might pray a lot of them, but write one of them. I don't know. And then after I'm done with this message, we'll receive our offering and I'll introduce the offering. But when that happens and the baskets are up here in front, along with your financial offerings, we want to encourage you to take some of those written prayers and offer them in that basket as an offering to God as well. Should be a card or something in your bulletin. And if you're not near a pen or don't have one, there are some pens in the back of the room. You can feel free to get up and get one while uh, I'm, I'm teaching. But we want you to be ready to be able to pray. Trust us on this. If you haven't already learned it, you soon will. That sometimes Christianity is a series of journeys, the details of which only God knows. You have, Jeff has some bulletins. If you don't have one, lift your hand up and he'll get it to you. And all of these examples have prayer in common. So Abraham, when he hears that call, what's he doing? He's talking to God. He's communicating with God. There's prayer going on there. Isaiah, he's in the presence of God. He's speaking to God. There's prayer going on there. The disciples, after uh, just before Jesus left, what did he tell them to do with all of their confusion and lack of details? Wait, go to this upper room and wait there and pray until the Holy Spirit comes uh, upon you. Today, we learn the importance of prayer during a journey to God knows where. Let me read the text from which we'll take these lessons today and then we'll sail on through. This is from Matthew chapter 6, a sermon on the mount, and Jesus answering or responding to the question, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, re remember, Jesus is getting these followers ready for one of the great journeys, a journey that would cost all but one of them 
his life. And one of the things he wants to do is teach them how to pray because he knows that that's so important. And here's the text that we're going to use. Matthew 6, beginning at verse 5. Would you stand, please, for the reading of God's word? When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. I tell you, they have received their reward in full, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. And then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. In other words, you don't have to impress him with your many words. This, then, is how you should pray. And this will be the heart of our text today. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we also have forgiven those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. May God add his blessing to his holy word, his fully inspired message to us. Go ahead and be seated. Now, I think we need to sprint through these because I have about 20 minutes to do this whole thing. So don't take offense by how quickly uh, we move. Or don't take offense if even though I promise we're going to move quickly, we don't. Uh, <laughs> it's like the preacher that always says, now in closing, and he closes five times, in closing, in closing. How should we then pray when we're on a journey to God knows where? What kind of prayers do we need to remember to offer? Here's one, according to verse 9 of that text. Our Father in heaven hallowed be thy name. Pray that God during this journey would remain the focus. And here's why I phrase that prayer that way. When you have a reference to being hallowed here, that's synonymous with saying uh, be, be fully, and not just fully, but specially valued. Valued above everything else. Think this, think opposite of common. Hallowed be thy name is like saying anything but common be your name. So you have this idea of fully valued, fully reverenced, uh, venerated, whatever word you want to give that. But not just his name. The reference to the name of God is connected with the idea in Scripture with God revealing his name. You have in effect here, Jesus saying, pray this way. Held as anything but common is the fact and the means by which you are revealing yourself to humankind. Hallowed be thy name. Enhanced and or proven to be special above every other thing 
every other fact, every other historical moment is the fact that through Jesus Christ, God has reached out to every human being and initiated something that makes the world hopeful. You know, when, you, when, 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 I, uh, when I first started dating Brenda, I didn't, I didn't know that she knew who I was. We were, we were in this big old church, and I saw her, and I thought, oh, wow, wow. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I still say wow, but I don't. And I called her one night. Sorry, you already heard this story. But I called her one night, and I said, hey, Brenda, because I got her number through the secretary. I didn't even know her name. And I found out from the secretary, this is Art Greco. Do you know who I am? And she said, yes, I know who you are. Remember the rest of the story? I said, you want to go on a date tomorrow night? And she said, I'm sorry, I have a date with someone else tomorrow night. And I said, well, dump that guy early and I'll be your second date tomorrow night. And she said, okay, and the rest is history. <laughs> but, but, the, but the key is this. There was a connection between being known and knowing a name. When I give you my name, Rod, I'm just the pastor of Brent Covenant. But on the first day that I went to you and said, hi, I'm Art Greco. And you said, I'm Rod Miles. There's an intimacy that's there. There's a, a knownness. We pray that God would remain the focus. His redemptive purpose, power, and intent would be anything but common. Now here's the key. During one of those journeys to God knows where. The focus of every journey to God knows where is the fact that the Father is revealing Himself through the journey, around the journey, along the journey, after the journey, before the journey. Always reaching His hand down. Saying, hey humanity, I love you. How should we then pray? that during that journey we would not lose sight of that focus. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Second, pray that heaven and earth would collide. We just used this terminology yesterday. Jeff and I had the privilege of serving at the memorial service for one of our beloved brothers yesterday. And we used this idea of heaven and earth colliding. Thy kingdom come, your kingdom come, your will be done. During every journey to God knows where, that's one of the ways we pray. Use this journey to cause a fantastic collision of values, a collision of realities, where what is true in heaven begins to encounter what happens to be true on earth. There's the text that says that, 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 that nobody is going to overtake the church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And you have the idea of whatever heaven is and whatever earth will be coming and now engaging with what earth happens to be, the values of earth, and sort of marching on the gates. And those gates will not prevail. So we pray not only that God would remain the focus, but that heaven and earth would collide. This is where in the fruit of the Spirit, which we also referenced yesterday in that memorial service, where Galatians 5.19 collides with Galatians 5.22. You know what Galatians 5.19 is? It says, the fruits of, 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 the, of the flesh, the, 
the system of the world and all of the things it naturally produces, like hatred and enmity and, and, and everything being spoiled and decay and all the stuff that breaks our hearts. All the things we see when we say, God, how long? How is that right? How is that fair? How can you stand for that? All of those things that we see, which are the natural results of this system in which we live. You have that in Galatians 5.19. And then this strong contrast, the text says, but the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness. Are you getting excited about maybe those things dominating someday? Your kingdom come, your will be done is really a prayer that says, let the second half of Galatians 5 dominate more than the first part. 5.19 collides with 5.22. When Jesus arrived, he brought the values of heaven on a direct collision course with the values of earth. When we saw the way he lived, we saw the will of God being done on earth as it is in heaven. And listen now, our every journey to God knows where gives us opportunities to do the very same thing. Are you catching that? Bringing heaven to earth. In effect, Christians are people of a great, restorative, holy collision. And we need to remember to pray for an awareness of that during every journey to God knows where. Now let's take a moment and do some praying around those two things. And we're going to put this, uh, these prayer movements up, and I'm just going to give you a minute to respond to them. This will be silent time. Give you a chance to pray, and you might want to write these prayers. God, would you open my eyes to the fact that you are anything but common. Have I taken my faith for granted, you for granted, lost the sense of the spectacular, and you the sense of awe at the very mention of your name? And maybe you're going to pray this too. Enable me to see and seize opportunities to bring heaven's values to earth's circumstances. Now, caution. Lest we become crusaders. You don't bring heaven's values to earth's circumstances. You attempt to bring heaven's values to earth's context, earth's circumstances, in a way that's not loving, not patient, not gentle, not humble and merciful, and you've spoiled the whole thing. Don't forget that. Let that be sort of in the back of your mind as you pray. But pray now. Be silent. Maybe write this prayer down. Pray in response to those two points. Holy Spirit, we know that you divide between bone and marrow. You make things clear. Haunt us, God, with the message you bring now. 
infuse us with honesty and clear sight. As our trembling hands reach for your merciful hands, take us deeper in response to these prayers. Amen. Thirdly, how should we then pray during a journey to only God knows where? I've got to go faster now. Pray for provision during the journey. Provide for us our daily bread, the text says. He teaches them to pray. And note that this is a daily provision. There again, the ambiguity. I'm going to give you what today needs. Jesus even said, worry about today. Today has enough trouble of its own. Doesn't mean don't plan, but when you're obsessing about the plan, there's something wrong. It's a daily provision. Now, this is certainly about more than literal bread. Otherwise, it's not relevant to any of us. Last time, anybody, raise your hand if you are worried about how you're going to feed your child lunch today. Not about which restaurant you're going to go to, but I mean, if you're going to, are you going to be able to rummage and find a potato then you can maybe make soup from it today and you're going to, have to go hunting for it. This is more, about more than daily bread. This is about prov daily provision of what I need, I think, particularly to, to, to obey, to respond to the first two movements of prayer. What do I need today in order to uh, reverence God and to see him as anything but common? What do I need today? What provision do I need today, God? to be aware of when heaven is crashing into earth and then be able to respond the way you asked me to respond. I need some stuff. I mean, I need today's daily provision of discernment. I need today's daily provision of faith. I need today's daily provision of patience. I need today's daily provision of courage. I need a daily provision of grace. Oh, you know, because I'm all about the truth and saying we should just do this and man... And there's no grace in me. I, I need grace. What is the daily provision you need? Lord, give us our daily ration of all we need in order to keep those first two teachings in the prayers. Fourth, we pray for daily provision during the journey, and we pray that we would be stocked and stoked, stocked with and stoked by grace. When our sense of call is greater than the details we have about call, increased grace is always needed. Have you realized that? When there's a sense of urgency and something's got to be done, but you don't know what's waiting for you, it's easier to be cranky. It's easier to forget about grace and just sort of burst on through. So here's our second movement of prayer. Our second prayer moment. Let's put that next slide up. Give you a chance to be silent around those prayers. Remember, how should we then pray while on a journey to God knows where? Pray that God would supply all that we need for today, including the ability to be satisfied with having enough for today's challenges only. That's something I have to pray often. Give us today our daily bread. Lord, give me today my daily provision. Oh, and along with that, the ability to be satisfied with the daily provision. I'll just deal with today's 
stuff. Uh, make me happy and willing to just carry enough lumber for today's projects. That God would forgive our sins during the journey. Boy, here's a prayer that we forget to pray. Prayers of awareness of sin and, 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 and recognition of forgiveness of sin, but admitting those things to God and then strength for repentance. Because look, on, look, on every journey to God knows where there will be sins committed. Just the simple journey of being here instead of there to worship on Sunday mornings and all it involves, there are going to be sins committed. I don't know why they didn't think about the gossipy sins or the questioning sins or the whatever it might be. It always happens. So we pray confession prayers. God, forgive me for my sins. God, I'm aware that I need forgiveness for my sins. We get into the deeper theological prayers. I'm aware that without your grace and mercy, I'm a wart that will never be removed. I'm broken and in need of you, and I live in great and deep appreciation of what Jesus did for me on the cross and all things related to that. And pray that God would, would increase our capacity for grace and forgiveness during this journey. Give us our, this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. That's a bold prayer. You pray that, it's a little nerve-wracking. Forgive me the same way I forgive others. No, time out. Actually, Lord, forgive me more efficiently than I forgive others and more often than I forgive others. But I pray often when I'm praying this prayer, increase my capacity for forgiveness. Make me, Lord, like wet kindling. It just will not ignite. Soak me. Let's pray those prayers now. Give us this day our daily provision. Forgive me my sins and increase my capacity to forgive others, those who sin against me. You recognize, don't you, that I think maybe being people of forgiveness, people who have received but then offer it, is so radically powerful. That might be the ultimate heaven crashing into earth expression or experience. Finally, this last movement of prayer. Pray that God would remain the focus Pray that heaven and earth would collide and we would be aware of that collision, those opportunities. Pray for provision during the journey. Pray that we would be stocked with and stoked by grace during the journey. And finally, in every journey to God knows where, we need to remember to pray for strength to maintain our integrity, to be led not just to temptation, but through temptation.
because God is our deliverer. Just remember to pray that. Isn't it interesting how much easier it is to yield to evil or to yield to compromise when we're walking into the unknown? We seem to be more fragile, more frail when we're walking into the unknown. Like Abraham on his journey. He had so many places where he compromised and he's afraid for his life. So he asks Sarah to lie. Hey, tell if they ask you, tell them you're my sister instead of my wife so that they won't kill me. And all the things that he knew that would mean. Peter denying Jesus when he was confused about the arrest of Jesus. Everything's confusing. This is not what I planned on. I wasn't banking on this. I didn't sign up for this. What in the world is going on? And there's more of a propensity to compromise. Judas selling out Jesus when many argue the reason he did that was because he was disillusioned, disappointed with the pace at which Jesus was making changes. Now, there are all sorts of reasons he did that. My point is just this. It is interesting how much easier it is to yield to evil or compromise when we're walking into the unknown. And a journey to God knows where is a march into the unknown. On a journey about which only God knows all the details, don't forget to pray for strength to hold to the values that led you to take the journey in the first place. Does that make sense? We need to pray prayers like, God, maintain my integrity. Give me clarity. Hold me to the course. Show me what's right and what's wrong and give me strength to stay there, deliver me when I'm tempted. Let's put that next slide up. And this is our final prayer moment. Pray that God would protect that integrity, especially when we can't see everything that's coming at us. And make us aware of when we're being tempted and excited about the deliverance that's also coming. You are my strong deliverer, O oh God. Hold me to the course. On a journey to God knows where, that's one of the ways we need to remember to pray. What journey are you on now that needs that prayer? Pray it. Lead us not into, tem into temptation, Lord, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and glory. You'll share that stage with no one. Amen. There was a 17th century Anglican theologian named John, named John Trapp who was known for the way he collected pithy sayings. He, he took complex concepts and was just so quotable. He said something that's pertinent to what we were talking about today too. He said this. He wasn't being uh, culturally sensitive for our times. Uh, he didn't use inclusive language, but you can look beyond that. He said, he that cannot pray, let him embark on a journey at sea. And there he will most certainly learn. 
because there's just something about having to sail uh, with your sheets full of wind that far exceeds your ability to see what's out in front of you that will cause you to get down on your knees on every journey to God knows where we must remember to pray.